Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. Here are your hosts, Dave Adamson and Ashley Bohens. How's it going, everyone? My name is Dave. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. This is episode 73 coming to you live from the Think Orange Bunker located in Atlanta, Georgia. And today, um, once again, my normal co-host Ashley is away. She's busy out doing Orange Tour stuff among other things. So I put in a really quick phone call, put out a 911 if you like to my friend and former producing buddy, Kevin Jennings is back in the house. Hey, everybody. Thanks for letting me hang out, Dave. Wow, you sound so excited to be well, here. I, I wonder mean, where I, your dad gets it from. Yep. I mean, <laughs> once again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not always excitable. I'm half my mom, half my dad. Well, aren't you happy to be in the Think Orange Bunker, though? I am. It's and, great to be here. And it's October 16th. It's my brother's birthday. Really? What's your brother's name? Pierre. No way. They, they gave him a really cool name. I know. Yeah. I'm you not, got no, Kevin. No, no, no offense, Dad. But I mean, Pierre's a really cool name. Yeah, no offense to anybody out there named Kevin who's listening. You know, no offense But you got Kevin and your dad and your brother got Pierre. But, but Pierre sounds smooth. Is Pierre the second child? Yes. So they learned. They're like, hey, let's not give him Kevin again. Let's not go with something boring again. I'm just How saying, about Pierre? That Pierre, sounds fancy. It does. This sounds very Pierre bad. Jennings. Man, I mean, yeah, and, and he's, he's, he's naturally creative. He's a visual artist. Is he really? He, I mean, he's, he's a, I'm he's, thinking he's a chef. He's a great dancer. He's a great visual artist. He's really? He's a great singer, songwriter. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's a, a skateboarder, golfer. He's a, he's wow. A, I mean, he's he's really creative. So, Pierre, so you got the happy good birthday. Name. Got all the talent as well. I got the good looks, though. You got, hey, there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Love yeah. it. So, happy birthday to Pierre Jennings. If you're listening to the podcast today and it's your birthday, we would love to give you a shout out on Twitter. So, why don't you get onto Twitter right now? Let us know. Let us know that it's your birthday. Use the hashtag happy birthday Pierre. How do you spell Pierre? P-I-E-R-R-E. It's one of those, it's a weird sounding spelling name, I know, it's it's French. But but does your brother speak French? Not at all. That is brilliant. So uh, anyway, (laughs) today we are talking, that had nothing to do at all with anything that we're talking about today, but I loved it. Um, Happy birthday, Pierre. Use that hashtag, let us know, we'll give you a shout out on Twitter. Today we are talking about what it takes to help your local schools when? Hey, Kevin, I want to ask you, what, what do you remember about your elementary school? Now, I, I was really blessed. I went to a private elementary Christian school for elementary school really? in Nashville. And it, I mean, and I, I know, we, all jokes aside, it was incredibly formative for me to be in an environment where I could be a ridiculous kid, and yet the people loved God. And you were, were ridiculous? I, we won't go. That's a side conversation. You asked me a question about elementary school. <laughs> I'm gonna stick to my answer. <laughs> but I could be a ridiculous kid, and, and, and I had a really great environment to be in. And I went to a public high school for that. Um, but I was also where I met, where my, met my wife. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, we went to go to school together. Well, I, I I understand that you you know you had your crazy moments at school, especially with a name like Kevin. You were just lashing out at, at you know, not getting the cool name. Right? Yeah, well, okay, I was I, I, full full of fury. Uh, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> Actually, Kevin means gentle. Does it really? It really does. And you don't know what Pierre means? I don't. I, mean, why I think I, it means cool. Why am I going to switch his name? You know what? Yeah. Enough about Pierre. It's his birthday. We have, we have, we have leaders to help. <laughs> we, we sure do. Hey, I, growing up in Australia, I went to uh, a school that, I mean, schools in Australia are way different, but I always went to public schools. And, and I remember there were times when uh, some leaders in the community would come in and they would speak to the kids in an effort to 
kind of help mentor them, help uh, lead them and give them a different perspective of what life might be like. And that's a little bit about what we're going to be talking today with a couple of amazing experts. In fact, the first one's going to be Leslie Bolsa. She's got, we actually have an interview that Ashley did with her. So you're going to hear Ashley on this podcast. Ashley told me when she was done with this interview, she said, Kevin, I could have kept talking to Leslie all day. For those who don't know, Ashley is a former middle school teacher. Uh, And so for her, her passion for education and the way the church can intersect with that is uh, is very clear and very very evident in her interview with Leslie. Uh, Leslie is actually the creative director for Core Essentials, which is our program that we created here at Orange that allows schools to be able to teach character development to students uh, with principles that might be biblically based but you know, it's obviously safe yeah. in the context yeah. of school. And I know you're going to get a lot out of this interview because Ashley and Leslie both have the same heart, which is to serve middle school students, but also to resource schools to help serve middle school students a little bit better as well. And then we have another fantastic guest. We're going to be hearing a clip from the one and only Nicole Baker Fulgham. Yeah, and Nicole is actually the founder and president of the Expectations Project, and and, and they have an entire vision to help end education inequality. Um, and so Nicole comes from a background as a Detroit native. Then she had a chance to actually mm. work for Teach for America. Then she got her doctorate in education from UCLA with a wow. focus on urban education policy and teacher preparation. Uh, she joined the staff at Teach for America. Uh, she's written two books, Educating All God's Children, which is actually published by Baker, and also Schools in Crisis, which is published by Barna. Anyone who knows Barna knows that they are a, a research-centric group. She knows yes. what she's talking about. She's appeared on on CNN, on ABC, wow. Christianity Today named her one of the 50 women leaders influencing the church and culture. You need to know Nicole Baker Fulgham. Yeah, and we're going to hear a clip from her where she did a talk talking about what it takes to partner with schools in the inner city. So if you're listening to this podcast today and you've uh, maybe working for a church and you've been trying to figure out ways to help the schools in your local community, this is the episode for you. Make sure you get your notebook and pen out. You're going to want to take a ton of notes. But before we get to both that interview and that clip, I just want to let you know that today's episode is proudly proudly brought to you by Orange Tour. Orange Tour is a 17-plus city tour around the U.S. where we basically pack up the Think Orange bunker and all the resources we can shove into a truck, and we take it to a town near you. Isn't that right, Kev? It is amazing. Uh, every year, I've enjoyed the opportunity to see leaders bring their volunteers or staff together to grow together, and I think that you will not regret the opportunity to get your team aligned inspired and ready to take on the challenges ahead. Yeah, when when I've gone on Orange Tour, I've done a couple of stops with you. You and I traveled together. We did a road trip one we, time. We did. We um, got stories. And, we got stories. And, and I've had the opportunity to go to a couple of cities. And one of my favorite parts of the whole day, Kev, is when after sessions, people go out in their church groups and you can see them all talking together yes, about what they learned. They, they're sharing notes there. And you can really see that growth like literally, you can see the growth taking place. You can see the light bulbs going on and so many aha moments. That's probably my favorite thing about tour. So I want to encourage everybody, if you've not already signed up to go to the Orange Tour, A, I don't know what you're thinking and not doing that. You should go and do it now. But B, Kevin, where can they go to actually get tickets? Because I know there's a few tickets still available in, in just about all cities, right? That's right. So if you go to Orange tour.org that's orangetour.org you can find tickets and guess what the night before orange tour 
we have something called Lead Small Night. Mm. So you can actually say, how can I get my small group leaders just thinking about what it means to lead their small groups well? Well, Lead Small Night's for that. And guess what? We have something else for parents. That's we added, not all. We added Parent Q Live, which yeah. is another night event for parents. So if you said, hey, I'm a leader. My staff's on the same page. We're going to get together for a full day. But I need my small group leaders and my parents to be re-engaged in a way that's going to help us lead and influence these students and these kids the right way. Yeah. Then we are trying to empower you with content and an experience that helps you do just that. Yeah, so I would encourage anybody who's a pastor right now who's listening to this, maybe you're the family ministries pastor or even the executive or lead pastor of a church, I want to encourage you with this. What could happen if the key parents in your church came along to something like our parent live event to find out a little bit more about how your church wants to partner with them in raising their children. I think you should come for Parent Q Live alone. I think you should come for Lead Small alone, or I think you should come for just the orange content. It's basically three events, Kevin, wrapped up into one event. It can't get much better than that. Orangetour.org. Make sure you go and check it out right now. Orangetour.org. Hey, we're going to go straight into today's content. We know you're going to love it. The real resonance for us as an organization and for me um, as a person and as a, a Christian woman is I just don't believe in any way, shape, or form that a child's zip code should be the determinant of what their destiny can be academically. And unfortunately, that's what we see in our country right now. If you look at a census map and you identify the income, average household income, the correlation between, not causation, but the correlation between the child's academic levels in that community is, it's almost parallel, right? And so for us as, again, Christians, the question I often have posed to, to folks and, and something I think about is based on what we see academically, those statistics we shared, you could easily imagine, right, that we serve a God who gives academic potential to certain groups of kids, right? Like that's sort of the conclusion. If you came down from Mars, oh, these kids must be the smart ones who live here. They usually, they're usually white or Asian. These kids must be the less intelligent ones. They live over here. They're usually black and brown. And so Obviously, as people who believe that we are all made in God's image and his likeness, and that he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for each of us, that type of logic just completely does not hold. And so if we assume that that does not hold, and if you think it does hold, I'm happy to talk to you afterwards and we can have a prayer time and <laughs> anointing oil. Um, so um, assuming we know that that does not hold, we have to ask ourselves, well, what else is going on? And some of the things we started to talk about are the things that are going on, but then what is our responsibility as the church to step in and help repair that? Um, so big picture, there are more than 300,000 churches in America and just shy of 50,000 what we would call high poverty public schools, so Title I schools in our country. Those are the schools that are going to have the types of inequalities for the most part, sadly, that we talked about. And so the, as the next slide shows, for those of you math geniuses in the room, that's six to one, right? So there are many, many, many more churches than there are high poverty public schools. Now, obviously, we live in reality, and we know that every church is you know, not going to go and partner with the public school because for various reasons, many of them are small, bivocational leadership, not the church's you know, core mission, and everyone can't do everything. But wow, like we're ahead of the game. Imagine if even 10% of the churches in our country were partnering with public schools in low-income communities in a meaningful way, what could we actually accomplish? And that's what we're gonna talk about next. <laughs> How can people of faith shine a light on education and equality? Next slide, please. So I want us to spend a while here on this, this first idea, and this is what I think most churches do and probably what some of your churches are already doing, and that's this idea of compassionate service. 
And this looks like what you see here. People are dropping off what there? Backpacks. How many people do a backpack supply drive at your church? Yay. The kids need resources. They need pencils. We do it at my church too. It's great. Um, how many people do tutoring with their church? Mentoring? All right. Um, so these are the traditional ways that I think churches have engaged. And it is wonderful, right? Because kids need tutors. They need mentors. They need supplies. They need resources for teachers, right? And when I was a teacher in Compton, California, um, for a few years, I taught fifth grade through a program called Teach for America. And I was a brand new 22-year-old teacher, and I relied so heavily on my church family <laughs> for my classroom's needs that it was, you would think they were teachers too, right? So um, when I was uh, teaching fifth grade, most of my students, Compton, California is a very um, low-income community, which is mostly African-American, about half African-American, half Latino, mostly Latino now. The demographics have shifted. But my kids on the average in fifth grade came to me reading at about the second grade level. I had several kids who were functionally illiterate in fifth grade, um, kids who didn't know how to do basic math um, where you had to carry a number. And so, you know, walking into that situation, knowing how far behind my kids were, but absolutely believing, even as like a very naive 22-year-old, that they had limitless potential because that was just my core belief growing up in a city like Detroit where all my friends were smart. They shouldn't have the opportunities that my school afforded me. That was my go-to was, okay, I need people to tutor because my kids aren't going to get caught up um, during the regular school day. So who wants to come and help tutor at McDonald's on Saturday and get a bunch of folks from my church? Or we don't have enough books because we didn't have enough books because it was Compton at the time. Who can donate? things. And so that's what my church did. And they stepped up and it was wonderful. Now, the difference between me as a teacher asking my church to come in is a very different dynamic than asking an entire church to start a partnership with a public school. So let's talk about what that looks like. First of all, how many folks are already doing partnerships with public schools in here? Okay, great. You guys can probably come and teach this session. Um, how many folks want to start a partnership with public school? Okay, so a few less than that. Um, well, what, let's start to articulate some of the things that are necessary to do a, a partnership well with a public school. So the first thing that we focus on at the Expectations Project gets to that initial question I asked you, what is your reason for wanting to do it? So what is your reason for wanting to start a partnership with a public school? The reason matters, as we said earlier, in part because if our reason, and we're going to keep it real, if, our reason, if we're a suburban church and our reason is we want to go and help those kids in the inner city, um, because we have something to offer them, you might want to like take a step back, right? And the reason I would suggest that is you very well may have something to offer, right? Like, like you know, if you have financial resources, political capital, whatever, like those are real tangible things. But the flip side of that comment or the second part of that comment should be, we want to help people in urban environments access the potential that already exists, right? Because if you come in with a, we're bringing them something that if you don't acknowledge that they have something already there, like you're missing it. And so then your approach is going to have a certain tone and tenor to it that will likely be off-putting, where people will be skeptical of you, particularly if you're going cross-culturally. And I say cross-cultural from a racial standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a social, sort of where you live standpoint. I'm black, obviously, and I grew up in, in Detroit. I don't live in that same neighborhood, so if I go back to Detroit and try to do something in that community, I may be black, so there's a connection, but I'm not from there anymore, and it matters, right? And the way I come into that community matters, right? So the why you do it and the how you approach it is incredibly important. The second thing we encourage people is to come without an agenda. Like, whatever agenda that you think you have, please don't go to that school principal and tell them what it is. 
<laughs> in fact, if you have one, you should let it go before you get there. <laughs> because the best way to start a relationship in a community is to go to a, a school that you believe has need and say, hey, we want to be helpful. What do you need? How can we help you? And let them tell you what they need. Because they know. They've been in that school for, <laughs> some of these teachers have been there for 30 years. So if you think you're going to come in or I'm going to come in and tell them what they need to do, they will laugh at you, first of all. And secondly, you'll miss, again, meeting the need that they actually have. So there's a history um, that I think we all know about um, the, the church, but there are urban communities, particularly, again, if your church is predominantly white and suburban, churches in the black and brown community, African-American, Latino, but especially in the African-American community, there's a history of race, right? And so if you don't know that history and don't know what that experience, those experiences have been, at least from a historical perspective, let alone relationally, you will likely step into it without even knowing it, right? And there's the, these landmines, like, can pop up and you just don't even know that they're there. So that's the third thing we recommend to people is to educate yourself about the history of race and class in the community where you want to do this work. There is some elder, there is some community leader who if you befriend them, they will tell you everything. There are probably things written about what happened in that community. Right, like the internet is now full of lots of history. Some of it's, some of it's accurate, I think. Um, but understanding the history of race in Detroit if you don't know that, yeah, folks are, n are not going to want to hear from you because they're going to question your motives. That's just real. You could have the purest heart. It doesn't matter, right? And it's not everybody, but there are people who will question your motives because of the history of that. The, the final thing that we encourage people to do, which is a slight de detour from the, the things I just shared, is to not reinvent the wheel. <sighs> so every church, oh gosh, God bless us. We all like have these these amazing visions of like a very unique tutoring program or a mentoring program that we think we want to start and try in a school. Maybe, like if that's what God is telling you, like maybe. I would submit to you that there's probably an existing one of those programs already that's data-driven, that's proven, that has an existing training. You can just walk in and just re repeat that, right? And just sort of replicate that and without having to start something new. There's nothing more frustrating for your volunteer base than to go and tutor kids every week for a year and see no progress. And if you start a new tutoring program where you're like, we all know how to read, so we can teach the kids to read, no. <laughs> There's a reason why I don't even homeschool our kids, because I was a teacher, but I don't homeschool the babies, because for a host of reasons, but it's hard, right? And I want to be a mom and not a homeschooler. Homeschooling is lovely, it's just not my thing. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why we have these amazing programs that already exist with real results. And if you want to try to replicate your program and get volunteers to want to stay and keep doing it, they want to feel like they know that what they're doing is mattering, right? And that matters. They can see the academic growth of a kid they started tutoring and like, oh, they're reading at this level. Now they're at that level because the program is designed that way and it has a proven track record. No need to reinvent the wheel. The other thing is if you want to try and grow your program and raise money for your program, Funders want results, right? So let's put the nonprofit hat on. Like they want results and they're not going to fund and support something unless you can prove to them, here's what we've done. There's a great story that a friend of mine told me who works in the Bronx on school partnerships. And he said he went to a friend of his who had been a principal in the Bronx for years, right? And this gentleman um, didn't have a racial difference with the community. He was um, a Latino. And so he was going to this school in a Latino Hispanic community. And he said, hey, we want to partner with you all and asked his friend, this principal. His friend just looked at him and was like, oh, you know, that's interesting. Um, so I've been working at this school for 20 years. 
And it's a very high crime, like high poverty neighborhood with a lot of transients. And he says, transients, not transients, um, a, lot of, a lot of movement. Um, and he said, in 20 years, the only time I've ever heard from the church for two reasons. One, when you came to critique the curriculum that the public schools were using because we talked about evolution or you know, same-sex marriage or in relationships, or because you wanted to get prayer back in schools. He was like, so I haven't heard you in 20 years when I have kids whose parents are incarcerated, half the kids can't read, they're homeless. It's like, where, where's the church been? So I just want to know that. So my friend was like, all right, brother, well, I'll get with you later. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, that's just one of those moments where it's like, ouch, like that's real. And that gets to what you're saying. Like our witness throughout this process matters. And we just don't want to be ignorant of that context. If that's the perception people have of us, this is a great opportunity to reintroduce them to the body of Christ and the way that we can come without an agenda our agenda being simply that we love God's kids. We want them to be able to access their true potential. Like that is sufficient. The other relational stuff, if that's what your ministry wants to have, that will come. People will eventually ask you why you're here. Those conversations happen all the time, but that's not the initial way we we come into a community. All right, well, I'm sitting here in the orange bunka with Leslie. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And I'm so honored to be the one doing this interview because I have a special place in my heart for the public schools, and this is going to be a very exciting conversation. I'm excited, too. <laughs> so I have been looking forward to asking you these questions. I um, We have a lot of church leaders who are listening, um, and maybe even some leaders in the school system. And I would love to start off by hearing you talk about like what would be the benefit for both sides, all sides, and our kids, if the schools and the churches would start to partner together more. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe the first thing to do would be to step back even a little bit from that question and to think about before any church person, professional church person especially, um, decides to work with their public school or partner with their school, it really helps to start out by clarifying what is a win and probably for the school first. So identifying, you know, schools are are heavy into metrics and data Mm -hmm. and measuring outcomes. Uh, So finding out what your school deems important and how they measure that whether it's academics, behavior, culture, character education, those sorts of things, finding out how they measure those and then um, how you kind of in your mind thinking of how you might impact those and then understanding really specifically what your church win is in Mm -hmm. your job or in your specific role. I mean, obviously the church mission is going to be involved in that and probably the Great Commission is involved in that. (laughs) But really specifically, what do the people who lead you expect from you or your group that you're working with? And then the question you have to ask yourself is, do those intersect? Mm-hmm. Is there a way that those that the win for the school and the win for the church intersect at all? And then the second question you ask yourself is, does that matter to me? Right. Can it just be a win for the school and not necessarily Ooh. be an outcome-based win for the church? Can we just work with kids in schools because we love them? Um, or does it have to have some you know, return on investment for us as well. And that's a really big question to ask yourself first, uh, because if you don't go in with that mindset that it's either a win or a win-win and and it's clearly defined, then you you really can set yourself up for some frustration and some disappointment. And and ultimately you can um, really let down the school in the partnership you're hoping to create. Yeah, I know it's good stuff. That is amazing. Big, big stuff, yeah. I love that. And if you think about it in in terms of our community, 
where you live, the public schools are incredibly important, even if you don't send your kids there yeah. or grandkids or have kids particularly that you know or live in your house that go there. Mm-hmm. The the quality of the schools and the state of the schools determines the economic vitality of the community. There's a reason on Realty websites that they list the school district mm. along with where you want to purchase your house because it matters. It's important. Yes. Uh, and so we know it matters. Sports teams and arts organizations in the schools matter because that's where people get gather. That's where mm-hmm. they go. And if the church isn't a part of the world that the rest of the community is a part of, it makes us very, very irrelevant um, in that world. And so it's just logical, really, that it would be a partnership that a church would want to invest some time in. I love how you drew the conclusion of why this is important for everybody, even if their kids aren't in the public school. Because I think I think that's really important for all youth pastors, all family ministers to hear, because if they do have families who are sending kids to private school or they themselves are sending their kids to private at schools, it is going to take some intentionality to get involved. But if you think about it, these are the kids that your kids are playing with, that they're on t-ball teams with, that they're going to play volleyball with, and these are the kids that are going to grow up and and work for you and with you. If Mm -hmm. you're not a professional church person, if you're a volunteer, they're going to be your employees someday. Mm -hmm. And if you want them to come into your workplace and to treat people a certain way and to to have the same values or the same virtuous (laughs) behaviors that you have... Mm -hmm then the best way to do that is to start when they're young and where they are all the time, which is which is at their school. That's awesome. You mentioned something earlier about where you should start is figure out how the school systems are measuring success and what yeah. their win is. What are their metrics? Yeah. For someone who's listening who maybe doesn't know how to figure that out or where to start, what yeah. would your suggestion be? Well, I would say that probably the resources are all around you. You maybe just haven't noticed yet. So, for example, if you're, if you're in a church that's more than one or two people, there is someone there who is connected with the schools, right? Mm-hmm. There's a teacher there. There's a counselor there. There's a parent of a kid who goes to a school there. Okay. And the first thing would be to ask people you already know mm-hmm. so that you don't feel quite as vulnerable or as inexperienced. And you can say, hey, what's the most important things to your school? When they send home newsletters, what's the mission statement on there? Right. Check out the school's website. Your state department of education lists all of the things that schools are accountable for. Mm-hmm. That will tell you two things. One, it will tell you what they're accountable for and how you can help with that and attribute to that. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is it'll give you some perspective on how much we ask our schools and our teachers to do Mm -hmm. and how ripe they are for having someone come alongside them and say, I'm with you. I'm behind you. How can we be a part of this? Right. Um, Because it's really, we ask an awful lot of the people that we put in those school buildings every day. You know, listening to you say that, I, I, couldn't help but take myself back to when I was a school teacher in the yeah. public schools in Maryland. And I remember like each year, two years, like a, a new thing would be implemented oh, yeah. with the teachers, like yeah. a new metric would be, yeah. uh, you know, discussed or I- implemented. And so I guess it made me think like for anyone who's listening, who maybe looked into this three, four years ago and is maybe doing the same thing that they were doing three or four years ago, maybe that's a great thing. Or maybe not. What would you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. Schools initiatives change all the time. And they probably named it something with an acronym. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I (laughs) know, right? Yeah. So um, I talk a lot to churches about the difference between church language and school language. And that uh, perhaps your best role could be a translator between the two. Schools speak in acronyms. They speak in data and metrics. And they have procedures for everything. and, And churches really don't use that language quite as much. Especially churches who are familiar with Orange. Right. who use a lot of uh, Reggie's messaging, they tend to use a different kind of language. We say things like love on and leverage 
influence, which in our lives and in the church context are so meaningful. Mm -hmm. But if you went to a school and you said a sentence like, we just want to come and love on kids so we can leverage influence. Creeper. You would scare the (laughs) crap out of them, right? You can't do that. So so understanding that saying, I'm going to bring six uh, background checked volunteers to come help at your football games on Friday nights is a totally different sentence than I'm going to come and bring some people to love on kids to leverage influence, right? Ooh, that's so good. just knowing the language is another one of those first steps between how you can really create something that's meaningful and um, give the school confidence that you're going to be able to sustain this and follow through. And another benefit to that would probably be, you know, for a kid who, you know, their church and their school are speaking similar languages. I mean, rather than competing at at worst and maybe confusing at best. Absolutely. So imagine this. Imagine if on Sunday morning you were saying things to your kid that you kids, the students and children who were there that you really passionately believed in. And then they go to school Monday morning and on the announcements they see the exact same word that you just talked about on Sunday morning in a totally different context, right? Instead of talking about peace in terms of what the Bible describes as peace, how about let's talk about peace in the context of a school and in your classroom and how you interact interact with um, the folks that you're with. And hey, teachers, adults in the building, let's talk about how we demonstrate peace and what we're showing to kids. So if there's that bridge between their church world and their school world, the school or the church professionals don't have to go evangelize at the schools because they've got all of those kids who are making that connection for them them. and who can do that to their friends and neighbors right next to them and say, yeah, we talk about this at my church all the time. This means whatever, or we read this, Mm. or I saw the so-and-so show and they did this or whatever it may be. Um, And that is so much more powerful than any adult standing in front of a group of kids and delivering a prepared message. I think if we're being honest, the church hasn't always gotten this right when it comes to partnering with the public school. And in fact, it may have left a bad taste in the mouth of the public school. What would you suggest for a community who maybe is in that situation where the school wants nothing to do with the church because maybe they, you know, they went about it the wrong way initially? Yeah. So that's pretty common. I think that happens. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I was at a school a couple weeks ago, and um, it was a dismissal time. It was the worst time to go and deliver the, right. the package I was delivering. <laughs> um, but I, I was dropping something off, and so I was kind of waiting until the line, a pickup line cleared out, and there was kids funneling out piece by piece. And then the, this one little girl just stayed sitting on the bench next to me and was waiting. And the school secretary looked around the corner and saw her, kind of rolled her eyes, picked up the phone, and dialed a number, waited a few seconds, and said... Uh, school's over. Haley's here waiting to be picked up and hung up. And I looked at her and she didn't look up the number. She knew the number. And I looked at her and she rolled her eyes at me and said, we've had 122 days of school and I've called Haley's mom 122 times to come pick her up. She in front of her, too. Yeah. Ugh. She doesn't come pick her up until she gets the phone call from the school that it's time to That's pick her up. So, hard. so Haley and all the thousands of other Haley's have been let down so, so many times. And when we as churches say we're going to do something or make a big plan, something that's not sustainable for us or for the school, and then walk away. We're just another part of that narrative in those kids and those teachers' lives. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say is to, once you've determined the wins, once you've determined it's something that it's urgent enough for your church to to want to step into, then find something that you can do that's sustainable and that's helpful for the school. And once you've done that, really understand what you're agreeing to. And it may be things like, 
run copies in the copy room on Tuesday, right? Such no one, a good way to build a relationship Absolutely. In the it's probably the best thing you can do is something behind the scenes to start out with. And I was so grateful some, for those volunteers in my classroom. <laughs> totally, totally. And just to gain some credibility and to show that you're going to follow through on what you do. And then after some of those that go well, then you can offer up some things, some gifts maybe that your church has that could be helpful. I love um, that. And then the second thing that's really important and is what probably most often burns bridges between schools and churches is when the church goes in with an agenda. Right. Yeah. And so a mission trip. Um, into it's the school. a mission trip to the school. Right? right. So I've actually used that mission term before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just like the love on thing. Right. In context, it makes sense. But out of context, it feels like that's a place that needs to be fixed. And exactly. imagine being yep. a teacher who's poured their life into this profession, hearing from your neighbor down the street that lives two blocks away or whatever. I'm going to come to your school because it's a mission field that needs fixed. Mm-hmm. That that's really demoralizing. So we should be careful about that about the way that we talk about it. But we also should be careful not to go in with a church growth mindset, mm-hmm. which also, it's so natural to, to be thinking that way. If I'm in front of 500 kids in the school assembly, chances are, if we're cool enough or if we right. do a good enough job, yeah. some of them are going to end up in our church. Yeah. And, and that can be problematic too. So what I, what I would say to that is, I think churches should be there because they want something for the school, not because they want something from them. Whew. Right? Wait, if, can you say that again? Because yeah. I do not want to blow past that. statement. That's gold. I mean, I think that churches should be at schools because they want something for the schools, Mm. not because they want something from them. Imagine the burden you're laying on a kid or a group of kids when you feel disappointment because they don't show up on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever to the thing that you planned just because you've been coming there for a year or six months or whatever it may be. And you may not have told them that that's your expectation, but if that's your internal expectation and you're laying that on those kids, Mm -hmm. that's just incredibly unfair and it's going to really make you frustrated and disappointed Mm -hmm. in the end too. So that goes back to that clarifying the win thing and really understanding that absolutely you may get more kids who show up to your stuff. More families may Mm -hmm. recognize your church. They may feel a special connection, even if they don't come in the door, that you're good people, kind people who live out the commandments and who show up at schools to help. Mm -hmm. But they may never, ever, ever come to your children's programming. I love that. And that's got to be okay. That's That's awesome. You know, this past Christmas, our church did this thing where we kind of looked at all the, we got contacts of all the public servants in our community. Yeah. And obviously teachers fell into that category. And um, our church, like you got to pick a name off of this board and basically just write a letter of encouragement and send them a Christmas gift and not expect anything in return, no answer. And of course, I'm like so excited. So I'm like, and this isn't like, look how awesome I am, but I'm like, I want all of the health teachers on this board. So I spent like an hour and a half pulling them off because I remember as a teacher, like, especially a middle school teacher, you know, middle schoolers aren't going to turn to you and be like, wow, you're really impacting yeah, my you're life. The best and teacher. You've definitely changed Absolutely. the trajectory of where I'm going. <laughs> like, that's just not how students <laughs> and kids talk. Yeah. And parents are so busy that they don't necessarily have time to encourage a teacher. Right. And so what I loved about it was it, the mindset of we can actually multiply our influence in a kid's life when we influence the people who are influencing them on a daily basis. Absolutely. Whether that's the parents or the teachers. A hundred percent. The teachers are their small group leaders all the time, day in and day out. And if the church is coming behind them and saying, we think you're important and we think what you say is important and we don't want to contradict you right. and, and work against you, we want to work with you and for you, imagine how powerful powerful that is for Mm -hmm. a teacher. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So as we're starting to wrap up here, is there any other story that you can share with us, whether it's like, this is my favorite story of, of, a, of a win, and this was like the best partnership I've ever seen, or a common failure that you see over and over and over again. Yeah, it's it's really great to get to talk to not just churches, but other organizations who are who are stepping into the lives of schools and, and being for them and helping them. Um, and we hear wins all the time. And sometimes uh, w- what we particularly do at Core Essentials is make that bridge between what 252 does and what the public school can teach. So we teach, we write and teach character education in the um, preschools, elementary, middle and high schools. And okay. what goes along with that are um, assemblies that churches or other organizations could do in the public school setting. So they're totally friendly to the public school. And to watch churches have a light bulb moment to see that they could do what they do really well from a production standpoint in a church in a school mm-hmm. in front of all of those different and new kids and their teachers is, is really cool. And um, I know of several churches who started with one and just did for one. And then over time, other schools, other organizations have asked, and now they're that. doing for so many people and for so many kids, um, some through the resources we provide and some just through their own creativity and, and own interest in their unique public mm-hmm. school and what would work there. So yeah, wins all around. Really, That's awesome. Really, yeah. So you mentioned in Core Essentials, you offer um, stuff for an assembly in a school. Can you give us an example yeah. of what some of those topics are? Yeah. So we follow a public school calendar. So August through May. And we Doesn't do... Doesn't everybody? <laughs> Come on, you know, let's be real. Really, when we were talking about it before, the economic impact and things that uh, schools have, if you think about the church calendar even, we design our church calendar around the school calendar. We have to. Nobody <laughs> starts a small group on the first weekend of spring break, right? right? <laughs> so the, the church calendar really is also the school calendar, which is just another reason to understand how much influence the public school has on mm. everything we do. Um, so we do one word per month. When we call it a value word, um, and we do the word and its application or definition. So, for example, this month we're doing peace, which is proving you care more about each other than winning an argument. Oh, those nice. familiar with the orange world are yeah. familiar that those are also the 252 basics, 252 kids life apps. We don't call them that in the school world, but it's it's the same thing. What do you call them? We call them values, okay, value words. Uh, we also use the term big idea uh-huh. because we want them to learn these big ideas mm-hmm. that work inside of them to come alive in the world around them. Big idea. Sounds the like an educational ideas. term. It does. It definitely does. Um, so we use the big ideas each month. We pr- uh, provide curriculum directly to schools. Some churches buy it and give it to schools, but okay. but mostly we just provide curriculum directly to public schools. Entire school districts purchase the character education curriculum. That Is we- it the same for K through 12? It's written differently. This value is the same from preschool through 12. Nice. Because we have a lot of pre-Ks that are in elementary buildings and districts. And so they want to be able to teach their four and fives what the other uh, uh, older kids are learning. I love that. So yeah, so from pre-K through 12, it's the same word, but it's taught and it's addressed in really different ways. Obviously, middle schoolers and high schoolers interact with these words and have questions and have experienced these words in a much different way than a first grader has. So uh, we we have different writers. Our writers mostly come from the public school world, counselors and teachers who are uh, working in that world and can contribute. 
what they know on a daily basis to what we're able to give to other mm -hmm. folks. And the school assemblies are based on that word. They run about 30 minutes, and the script is written to be done mostly by a comic and a credible host. Nice. There are ways to incorporate more people, but if you had a skeleton crew of one person who ran the sound, one person who was comic, and one person who was credible, we can package it that way so that you can go into a public school and give them 30 minutes about um, you know, peace or compassion or uh, whatever word it is that that they're talking about that month. That is incredible. Leslie, I have, I, I think I could talk to you all day long about yeah. this because it feels like my worlds are all colliding in this <laughs> orange bunker. And which, by the way, is what we call where we record this podcast in here. Sweet. Okay. I like <laughs> and it, it. I say it that way because the um, Dave, my co-host, is Australian. So <laughs> oh. he says it that way, which sounds way better. Anyways, the point of this is the thought of parents, schools, and kids ministries, youth ministries, all speaking the same language, all pulling in the same direction for the future of a kid and not for their own agenda is, it, it, it's the, the, the possibilities are so exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I love it. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for taking some time to tell us about it. Um, we will have to get you back on this sometime. I love it. Fun. Yeah, let's do it. Let's cool. do it. Well, what an amazing episode. Hey, Kevin, you know what my favorite part about that was? Just, I felt like a fly on the wall listening to Ashley and Leslie just speak each other's love language and like clearly that is their wheelhouse, right? Indeed. That is the place where their heart beats the strongest, where they're most passionate about it and and I would re-listen to that episode again just to continue to hear that excitement in their voices. You know, it's true. I have a friend of mine who got into youth ministry and he told me, he said, when I was in high school, a, a local pastor came to, came to my school and he said, we just hang out. And he said, he would, he would hang out with me and the other guys. He would take us to ball games. He would uh, take us out to have fun. He, he's yeah. always, and I asked him what he said, what job do you do? Like, what do you do? He said, I'm a youth pastor. Mm. He said, I want to be you when I grow up. Yeah. He, he said, literally, I had no idea about anything. So all I knew was any job that lets, lets a guy come and hang out with us and be so nice to us. So good. I want to do that job. Yeah, that is and, so good. And here he was just saying, how do I support the kids in this school? Right, yeah. it wasn't a come to church this week kind of thing. Yeah, that's good. Um, and and so for me, when I hear about that, I think about that story from our friend, but I also think about just uh, the leaders who listen to this podcast. We know you have a lot on your plate. We know Sunday's coming again and again, yeah. and we know that there are you know there's complaining parents, uh, there's yep. there's uh, fickle and flaky volunteers, <laughs> and the reality is. This can sound one more thing on your list, yeah. but we know at the end of the day, you have a heart to see every kid, every student that's made in the image of God come to know Jesus and and have and have a growing relationship with Him. Yeah. And so we know that that can happen through the schools. We know that can happen through you being a resource to the schools and letting them know that you care about every kid in the community, not just the ones in your church. Yeah, and we are here really to support you, to cheer you on. We are in your corner. We have your back, and we want to resource you with podcasts like this one. And so make sure you keep on listening. Make sure you share share this podcast with some other people in your church as well or even some other church some other people from churches down the road. Uh, we just want to be able to support as many churches as possible to make as big an impact as possible in their local community. So please make sure that you share this podcast. While you're at it, why don't you go across to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Kevin, why do we want we say this all the time. 
Why do you want us to tell people to leave a review? Okay, I'm glad you asked me that because people think this is like, oh, we have to say that. No, it's because sincerely, Apple Podcasts or iTunes is like the Google of podcasts. Mm -hmm. When people see you leave a positive review or it's like the Yelp of podcasts. How about that? When people leave it, when you leave a great review, <laughs> yeah. people are going to say, oh, this is podcast is legitimate. It can help me. It can help others. And actually boosts our ranking within iTunes. Yeah. And it gives the opportunity to be discovered by other leaders who might need this information. Yeah. So go ahead and leave us a review and a rating right now. While you're at it, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. That's important too, right? Give me one click away from it and it makes sure that you can grow on the go. How do we do that? It Ooh. automates the process. Everywhere you, every time you open your your iPhone on Tuesday mornings, every other Tuesday, boop, a new episode is there waiting because for you. Because your iPhone is so smart that it goes looking for the Think Orange podcast if you have subscribed. So make sure you do that as well. Oh, well, well since uh, I guess K-Daddy, you, you all call him, uh, said- <laughs> You he, just call him daddy. I, I, call, I just call him dad. Yeah. But, but with that being said, Android users, we have not forgotten you. Google Play, is mm -hmm. also a helpful place. We have the podcast there or Stitcher Radio um, or, SoundCloud. or so SoundCloud. Wherever you like to consume your podcast, we are there for you. So go ahead and leave us a review on all of those channels and subscribe on those channels as well. Well, thanks so much for listening to this one and we will see you next time for episode 74. In the meantime, when you think next generation, Kevin, what do we want them to do? Think, think Orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com.